Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. The title of the sermon this morning is called Life and Death and Space Between. It's this picture of you got life and death and you got space between the two. And the question becomes... Uh, does it matter what we do between the point of life and the point of death? Like, does that space matter? Every parent in this room, if you have elementary kids, you've been there, you know the terrifying moment when your kid comes home from school, you unzip the backpack, and you find out fundraising season has begun. You know that moment. You see the catalog in the backpack, and it's always under the skies of a cookie dough fundraiser. But that, catalog, that catalog, that book, whatever you want to call it, it is, it is a random book. You've got cookie dough, you've got gift wrapping paper, you've got uh, utensils, you've got Tupperware, a kidney probably, some of that thing. There is, I mean, there is just a book of randomness. Now, when my kids at their school, when they do this, this fundraiser, I know some of your guys are in the same fundraiser because I've seen them running around with these things. They hit benchmarkers within selling these goods. Let's just call them goods. And they get these little hedgehog keychains. Right? These things are annoying. Right? But that's all they want. Listen, these guys, and these hedgehogs are like themed. You know, you've got uh, like Marvel characters. Uh, there's like a baby Yoda. There's, you've got uh, Michael Jordan, Scooby-Doo. I mean, you've got all these things, princesses. And this is all these kids want. They come home from school. How was school? I got a hedgehog today. That's all they care about. They're on the playground, like, like trading, man. Like, you got this, I got this, well, let's change it. Look shady over there, you know, making these exchanges on these hedgehogs. But that's all that these guys want. Now, in the process of doing these fundraisers, you would probably teach your kids what to say doing the fundraiser, you know, help them out with their sales pitch. You know, for my kids, it would be like, hey, my name is Connor Ortner. My name is Savannah Ortner. I'm selling cookie dough for my school. Would you like to buy some, right? Help them out, it, it, you know. What, what are you doing? I'm selling cookie dough or random stuff. Uh, you can buy it, and if you do, then it helps raise money for my school. And you can practice this. Hey, my name is Connor Ortner. I'm selling cookie dough for my school. Would you like to buy some? I could say it. He could say it. Sarah could say it. We could all say it. But this is what happens. He steps up, and this is what he gets. Hi, my name is Connor Ortner. I'm selling cookie dough. From, can you buy some so I can get these really sweet uh, hedgehog keychains? Right? Because he does not care about anything for the school he wants those hedgehog keychains and when he comes to tell you about his fundraiser he is making sure that his point is clear he is being very direct with it like this is my goal in mind this morning in this passage of scripture paul is going to be very clear he's going to be very direct to with us on his goal of you and i being of people who live with jesus in mind so if you have your bibles you can follow along we'll be in philippians chapter 21 or chapter 1, verse 21 through 30, and it says this, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then when I come to see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Father God, let's pray, Lord, as this morning as we get ready to uh, dive into your word, we pray, Lord, you open up our hearts and our ears to, to you, that through this, Lord, you may challenge and convict us and even correct us, Lord. I pray that at this moment, Lord, may I get behind the cross and it be all about you. And God, we love you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this passage, it breaks down in really in two ways. Verses 21 through 26, we look at Paul's life. And then verses 27 through 30, we look at our lives. So one more time. Uh, verses 21 through 26, we look at Paul's life. And then verses 27 through 30, we look at our life. And, and within this, Paul is he's telling, sharing this central goal of what it means uh, to live life. He's sharing this goal of what it means for you and I to be intentional, living our life with Jesus in mind. When he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't put in fillers. He gets right to the point. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he doesn't mince his words. C.S. Lewis says this about mincing words. Don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you can say very. Otherwise, you don't have any word left when you want to talk about something that is really infinite. Paul here, he's communicating this battle with, within him, whether to live for Christ or to see Jesus. And what he's saying is, as long as I live, then Christ lives. Now, now it doesn't mean that Jesus is not dependent on Paul. Like, Jesus' message goes forth either way. But he's saying, as long as I'm in this flesh, I will continue to live the life that God has called me to, right? But it's far better for me if, if I go be with Jesus. In verse 22, he says this, Now if I live on the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. Paul says this a lot in the, in the New Testament, that if I live on the flesh, to clear up any uh, confusion there might be, when Paul says live on the flesh, he's not talking about a, a, a fleshly desire or some worldly issue. He's talking about just life itself like as long as there is air in my lungs as long as there is a heart beating within my chest i'm going to continue to press on and to communicate the message in which i have been called to communicate this is paul he may be wrestling with this but he's saying as long as there's life within me i know there's fruit for me to bear there's something uh for me to put forth into there's things for me to do in the name of jesus you and i we're a people who like to rest I can prove it, right? How many of y'all are looking forward to your Sunday afternoon nap? Be honest, Baptist, come on. All right, every single one of us. There is something different about that Sunday afternoon nap, amen? I mean, it's like the best rest you get all week, man. It is wonderful. You don't want to wake up. You don't know what time it is when you wake up, what day it is. It's great, you know? But here's the thing that, uh, about rest. Now, at some point in time, you and I, whether it be a sermon, whether it be a, a small group discussion, we have talked about what it means to rest in Christ. Now, here's where you and I may have the problem. If we rest for rest's sake, then what we become is lazy and lethargic because we're resting to rest, and it's just inside. I rest so I can rest again. And so what lazy and lethargic. But if we rest for action's sake, then we rest being ready to go, 
ready to move on in action to get the task done. This is what Paul is communicating here. He says, listen, I find my rest in the person of who Jesus is. So then I may go out and do the thing that Jesus called me to do, to bear fruit for the name of Jesus and for his kingdom. He says, listen, I am torn between these two things. I want to continue on with you guys. I want to continue pouring into you and and teach you things of Jesus, to continue to, to live my life the way that God has called me to live it. But at the same time, man, I really long to be with Jesus. It's this idea that he's torn uh, he's kind of stuck between, uh, zipped up between the two, if you want to put it that way. Um, I found these things this week, and maybe you've seen them. I told Sarah about these things. Like, hey, I found these really cool inventions. I told her about it. She goes, we've seen those before. The kids have asked for them. And I'm like, I'm a guy. I don't remember, right? But I found these things. They're called Bettys. Y'all ever heard of these things? Not like a person bet, like uh, Betty White or Betty Boo Who. Um, who's Betty Boo Who? Um, is that the Grinch? Who's the Grinch lady? Cindy, the, who's Betty? That's, who's Betty Boo? That's, that's the Halloween version of the Grinch. That's, you know, we got Betty Boo. Well, anyways, ADD moment. Whoop, let's get back over here. So uh, uh, sometimes, y'all, I don't know what's going on. Jonas, pray for me, brother. So you got these, these Bettys, and, and it's not Betty the person. We've Discovered that. Uh, it's, it's Betty, spelled B-E-D-D-Y. Betty, cool invention. They're made for kids, but they make them for adults, if this is, sounds cool to you. So we know that kids, they, they like to like, drop their blankets, their animals, their pillows, or even they fall out of bed a lot. Well, these Bettys, what they do is they, will, they go over your bed and they zip up on both sides, right? No need for a blanket anymore. They stuck in there with you, right? And your kid can't fall out of bed. Now, they are an, a fantastic thing, I think. We don't have any, of course. I just found them this week, even though my kids want some, apparently. But if we had them, I can tell you exactly what my kids would do. There's no doubt they would trap each other inside of it and zip, 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 where they couldn't get out. No doubt about it. I know my kids. But this is where we find Paul. He is zipped up between this idea of to live on as good, because I continue on in the message of Jesus, but I mean, how much more sweeter would it be for me to see Jesus face to face. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Paul saying this text that I, I know that God has a point, a plan, and a purpose for what I am doing, and that point that plan that purpose is for gospel advancement for the gospel going forward because for paul to live is christ and what paul's doing is he is uh, trying his best to display and to demonstrate to the church of what it looks like to live with jesus in mind now paul he paul wrote a lot of the the new testament i mean he just that's that's paul for you he wrote a lot of new testament when paul was writing this important for us to remember this paul wrote this from prison right so it, it wasn't like Paul was sitting down in a Starbucks somewhere trying to write a bestseller and was like, ooh, live as Christ dies again, that will sell. You know, he wasn't trying to hit those, those points, but Paul was in prison. And it was important for us to know when Paul wrote letters to whatever church he's writing to, whether it was uh, Philippi, Ephesus, the church in Corinth, I mean, they had their issues. But no matter what he was writing to, yes, he called out false teachings. He called out uh, weird, sinful behavior. He called out these things. But everything he wrote about had one goal and one purpose, that his readers, the church, 
would align their lives with the person of Jesus and commit themselves and partner with the mission of Jesus. That's all he was trying to do. And so and, and one thing about Paul is Paul is kind of that guy that uh, if you were someone who did not like Christians, if you did not like the church, Paul would absolutely annoy the fire out of you. Because with Paul, it's a lose-lose-lose situation. Here's what I mean by that. In the book of Acts, we find where Paul is uh, arrested. He was in this town, and this lady who was uh, pretty much deemed possessed, but gave her the ability to fortune tell, and Paul, he rebukes her. And so she loses the ability to, to fortune tell, which these guys kind of get mad at that. And so they're like, let's accuse Paul of things. So they accuse Paul, and Paul ends up getting uh, uh, beaten. He gets end up being put in prison, horrible day. Um, but his response to all that is we find that he is in prison, uh, shackled, and, but his response is just to sing praises to God. He, he's in prison singing praises, which that's got to annoy people. Like, man, we got Paul, yeah, but he's, he's worshiping Jesus. So you're like, okay, Paul, well, we're, well if you're going to worship Jesus, we'll just kill you. And Paul's like, sweet, you're doing me a favor because now I got to go see Jesus, Right? Okay, well, if, if you're so bent on dying, you're so bent on being in prison, we'll just let you live. Sweet, let me live. I'll continue to share the gospel of Jesus. You can't win with a guy like that, right? Now, what we need to understand is this, that you and I, we have this danger. Of sometimes we take someone like Paul, and rightfully so, we put him in this kind of super Christian category, and, and where he's kind of like he's gone to like this next Christian level that we can't really reach. It's like beyond us. And in doing so, I think sometimes we take the human aspect from Paul and put it out like he was just some super Christian robot kind of guy who was just out there living for Jesus. When that wasn't the case, Paul was very much just as you and I are. Uh, Paul just had a different mindset. And sometimes we put Paul in that category. We think, well, he didn't suffer like I did. He didn't go through the things that I went through. And Paul writes this in, uh, in uh, Corinthians about a struggle in Roman captivity. He says this, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our afflictions that took place in Asia, ready, where we were completely overwhelmed. Y'all ever felt that? Most of us, not all of us, have had those moments of feeling overwhelmed. Paul has been there. He has felt overwhelmed with all the struggles he went through. There's no doubt Paul had his moments. where He was just, man, overwhelmed with what was going on. But this is what made Paul different. Paul knew who God was, he believed in this God, and that faith he had in him never once wavered, but his feelings did, and that's okay. Our feelings are going to waver. That's why, we, that's why they're feelings. One second you're mad, you're sad, you're happy, you're overwhelmed, underwhelmed, just whelmed, I don't know. Can you be just whelmed? I don't know. But feelings, they do. They come and go, they change, they shift, Right? And that is perfectly fine. If, if our, our feelings can change all they want to, as long as our faith in the person of Jesus doesn't waver, we're cool. That was, Saul, that was Paul's secret sauce. You know, in Space Jam, you got at the end of the movie, they're in the game, and Bugs Bunny comes out of the thing, he's drinking this water bottle, and it's, you know, Michael Jordan's secret stuff, you know. It's just a, a thing of water, but everyone buys into it. You know, that's Paul's secret stuff. It's not some super secret formula. Paul was just like, man, I'm so focused on Jesus that, yes, I'm going to go through some things, shipwrecked, prison, beatings, whatever it might be, uh, and, and my feelings, they are absolutely going to waver here because we're human, but my faith in Jesus can't waver. That was Paul's secret sauce. That's what kept him going. That's what kept him focused. 
And so I kept him pushing forward in every difficult situation. Yeah, it's hard and I'm overwhelmed, but I know my faith in Jesus is not just going to push me through. It's going to get me to that next, wherever that, that is that God's leading me. We find in verse 25 and 26, he says this, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Jesus, or Christ Jesus, may abound. Paul is saying, I know that I hopefully I believe, I believe, I believe, like donkey. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe. He conveys multiple times that, listen, I believe that you and I, Church of Philippi, me, Paul, we are going to have a reunion, and it's going to be sweet, it's going to be joyous, it's going to be a celebration, and I am looking forward to it. Paul was convinced that he needed the Church of Philippi, and the Church of Philippi needed, needed him because they did. They were partners in the ministry together. And Paul is saying, listen, you and I, we are going to see each other again, and it, when we do, we're going to party like it's AD 99, right? It is going to be a joyous occasion. We are going to celebrate what Jesus has done. We're going to celebrate what he is doing through us. Most of us uh, can name people who we would consider a, a, had a spiritual impact in our life, right? Like most of the name. I, I can sit here and tell you, people who have absolutely had an impact on my life spiritually. It's not an award show. It's not like I can hear like, thank you. But if we're nation, yeah, A, B, C, D, and E. These people absolutely had an impact on my life spiritually. Around the room, which we won't, but if we did, most of us can say, yeah, here's some people who impacted my life spiritually. Whether it was a coworker, a friend, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a, a teacher, a small group leader, something like that. Maybe it was a children's ministry leader, a youth ministry leader. Maybe it was someone within college. Maybe it was a friend, whoever it is, we all can name people who we consider to have a spiritual impact on our life. Maybe it was someone who shared the gospel with us and God used them to bring us to faith. Or maybe it was someone who just had a heart and a passion for discipleship who came alongside us and discipled us. This is what those D groups are all about that we've been doing. Or maybe it's, it's, it's someone who, who came, a partner with us through a, a tough season in our life and through that just was an encouragement and just kept pointing us back to the person of Jesus. Like we all can name those people. And when we think about these people, there's this uh, sense of excitement. There's a sense of joy when we think about these people who have impacted our lives spiritually. But the question is this, what about you and I? What about us? What about our own life? How often because of your spiritual impact and the significance of your faith does that impact the way your world sees you um, it's very clear in Scripture that you and I ought to be so in love with Jesus and living a life for Jesus that we impact the people within our world with the gospel of Jesus. As a matter of fact, here's the thing. You and I, whether we realize that we are absolutely impacting people, we're either impacting them negatively or positively, and I'm not talking about you know, people who just disagree with our, 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 our views and how we see Scripture. Like, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about people in everyday life, and this can be people within our, our own circle. It can be inside the faith that we just have in contact. You know, how we impact them spiritually, because the truth is this, we're, even, we're either leading people uh, to the cross of Christ or away from the cross of Christ, right? Depending on which version of Jesus we're showing them, right? So the question becomes, who are we impacting for Jesus? And just as we can name people who have been an 
impact for us spiritually, the question becomes, and I hope that there's people who look at you and go, man, they, were, they have impacted me spiritually. Man, they, they have been such a blessing to me. They've helped me through some hard times. They have pointed me time and time again back to Jesus. They have helped me through some things. Man, man, I would love to have that, right? Where people go, man, like you lived for Jesus so much, man, that it was, man, man, it was, it was contagious, dude, right? Like this is what, what it's all about. These are the people we should be celebrating when we think about the people. This is what Paul is communicating. Listen, man, we are going to get together because Philippi, they partnered with Paul. When, when a lot of others kind of left him, Philippi, they stayed with him, right? And there was that special connection between the church of Philippi and Paul. Paul loved this church, and this church loved Paul. That's very evident. But what Paul gets ready to do, he gets ready to take this conversation, and he's getting ready to kind of flip it on its head. And what Paul's doing, he says, listen, um, I'm going to live my life for Christ until Christ comes back. But now he's going to take the verses 27 through 30. He's going to flip it, and he goes, now, we've talked about me enough. Let's flip this, and and let's talk about you. Let's address you for a minute. I've shared my goal. I've shared my heart. I've been intentional with it. Now I'm going to do the same thing, but but for you. In verse 27 through 30, he says this. Just one thing. Citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I come and see you, or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. One thing in verse 27, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, verses 27 through 30, one sentence. Crazy thing about it, right? Just one sentence. Paul uses a lot of words. That's, that's Paul's gift, whatever you want to call that. He uses a lot of words. Matter of fact, Paul tells us in Scripture elsewhere, listen, I use a lot of words, dude. Get over it, you know, right? It's just one thing. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One sentence, and there is one verb in which everything else hangs from this point moving forward. It's the primary uh, 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 central word in the text, and that one verb is the verb live. This one word, live, is the driving force of everything else that Paul is about to communicate. That we should live our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus, right, as a citizen of heaven. Citizenship uh, was not an unfamiliar concept to the Greco-Roman world. If you were a Roman, if you were a Roman citizen, um, you, you would have understood the concept of this citizenship. You, it wasn't like if you were a, a Roman citizen, you just get a, a, a card and it's like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Like, like you had responsibilities. You had things that they uh, uh, required of you. There was this sense of community within that, right? Within being a citizen of Rome, you found your, your kind of your place, your purpose, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and. But Paul, he's going to kind of take this idea and, and shift it. There's this phrase that they would use. If you're a Roman citizen, they had things that you were required to do. They had this way of life you're expected to live, and, and you should obey those kind of things, right? But they had this saying, 
And I, and I didn't write it down, and I may have, have messed it up a little bit. Something like, uh, to live is for Rome, and to, or, to live is for Greece, something along those lines. But what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to play cornerback. I don't know if Paul would actually play cornerback. I don't know. He's like a quarterback type of guy. But Paul will play quarterback here, and what he does is he intercepts the concept. And Paul did this a lot. He would intercept different concepts, and he would just flip them on their head and then make them all about Jesus. That's what he does. He, he intercepts this, this uh, concept of citizenship. He intercepts it, flips it on its head, and goes, we're going to make this about Jesus. I mean, yes, you are a citizen of Rome, and yes, in that you are, you should, yes, you should enjoy that. There should be maybe a sense of pride in that, sure. But we're going to flip this as you as a believer that you are a citizen of heaven. You know, to live as Rome, live in Greece, that's great and all, but to live is Christ. This is what Paul is communicating, that listen, uh, in Rome, they would kind of, if you're a Roman citizen, you found your place, your purpose, you found your potential within Uh, your Roman citizenship, but Paul says, no, you find your place, your purpose, and your potential, you find it in Christ because it belongs to Christ. Paul knew better than anyone that his life was not his own. His life belonged to Christ, and he knew that everything about his life not only belonged to Christ, it was found in Christ. His abilities belonged to Christ. His skills belonged belonged to Christ. His place, his purpose, his potential, it belonged to Christ, right? But he found it all in Christ. And this is not something that, that, we're, that Paul was supposed to wear as some super Christian, like a badge of, of like, yeah, I find all these things in Christ. This is something you and I are supposed to wear every single day as we are a people who are united in Christ, who align our life with the person of Christ and come alongside in the mission of Christ. Because the truth is, if what you and I believe absolutely matters because what you and I believe will affect our conduct and our everyday way of life. Uh, True belief does it. It affects your conduct. And and Paul had a lot to say about conduct. He says this in the New Testament. And I'm going to kind of go through these. So if you're someone who writes, you might have to write kind of quickly. Uh, He says this about conduct. In Colossians 1.10, he says this, Walk in the manner worthy of the Lord. Right? So walking is active. Like, uh, our, our faith is one of, of action. It's us being active. Uh, he, he doesn't, the Bible never calls us to be a pew sitter or, or a bench player. Everyone's in the game, dude. And he says, we're going to go out in that. Walk in the, walk in the manner of the, worthy of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, walk in manner uh, worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Ephesians 4, 1 says this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have been called. Second Thessalonians says this, you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So you, you kind of get the idea here, like, like we are called to be in action, and Jesus actually takes this kind of, the same concept, he kind of takes it a step forward in Matthew chapter 10, he says this, whoever loves his father and mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follows me is not worthy of me. Sometimes Jesus said things that are kind of hard to swallow, and sometimes it's things that we miss. Uh, but he says here, whoever loves his father, his mother, his son, his daughter is not worthy of me. So it's, you've got Jesus and then everything else, right? Jesus, he doesn't share this with nobody. You and I have this... Uh, ability to go well jesus is one a and then like my wife or whoever is one b right 
And we kind of do that like, well, you know, they don't share that. It's Jesus than everything else. You know, it's not, it's not you know, your mother, your father, your, your, your son, your daughter, your wife, your home dog, whoever it might be. Uh, you don't love these people more than Jesus. Jesus, no, it's, it's me and then everyone else is second. Everything else comes after that. And he takes a step further. He says, okay, not only that, but whoever does not take up their cross daily and follows me is not worthy of me. It's that picture of when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, the idea of you and I emptying ourselves completely of us so that we may become more like Jesus. That is, this is the point of you and I walking as citizens of heaven, that it would not be about us, that we empty ourselves of who we are, that we may become more and more like Jesus Paul says this way, uh, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So Bishop Paul is saying this, Let the way you spend your time say to those around you that the gospel of Jesus matters. Live as citizens of heaven. Paul didn't just view the citizens of uh, citizenship belong to Rome as, a, as, as an end. He sees it as a means to an end. That in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of the moments of feeling overwhelmed, uh, whatever it might be, whatever circumstances life is throwing at you, live in such a way that in the midst of all that, we elevate Jesus through it all. And this is what Paul is communicating. We walk with Jesus in mind. We walk and live as if the gospel of Jesus Christ matters because it does. And in doing so, we elevate Jesus through no matter what it is that we are going through in our life. That's when Paul says that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Uh, one spirit, that it means that you are unified in one desire and one hope. Um, oftentimes, if you have a basketball team, and it's kind of funny to have like a, a group of kids. I coached Connor's basketball team this year. And it's weird because every kid would have their own goal in mind, you know, you have that one kid, he's just happy to be on the team, you know. He's just happy just to be running around, you know, doing whatever he's doing. Then you have another kid, he's, he's, he's wanting to win, he's wanting to do whatever it takes. Then you have that one kid who just wants to go out and just get buckets, you know. He just wants to go out there and score as many points as possible. He can care less about the other team, he can care less about whatever. He's just out there for them. But what happens is, is in order for you to be a successful unit, is for them to unify themselves together on one particular goal. And once they're unified, then the team can kind of go forward. It's like this idea of this general who's coming to the military, and this, he's a new general. He's coming to this one unit. And when he does so, there might be some people who are like, oh, man, I really like that old guy better, you know? Right? Like, oh, man, the other guy, he was so much better. And you might have this kind of this, this thing of like, well, who do I put my allegiance in? This guy, the new guy. Well, eventually you're going to put your allegiance in this new general. And whatever the general says goes. Whatever the general asks you to do, you're going to do. Wherever he leads you, that's, what you're, that's what's going to happen. This is what Paul is communicating. This is a sinful, broken world. And the world has its king. But there is a king who is going to make all things new. And his name is Jesus. And as believers, we unify ourselves. And yes, we might have different opinions and things like that at times. But he says we unify ourselves under the name of Jesus for the gospel of Jesus, right? He says it in one accord. 
If you get Al's dad jokes a few weeks ago, you know he made that joke, y'all. In one accord, not a Honda accord, but one accord, all right? Dad jokes reign supreme sometimes, all right? But in one accord, may we be unified in the gospel, contend together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by our opponents, as Paul says, but to be unified, not flinching, not unwavering, but moving together, despite the distractions that we're going along, may we be united together. Because we, uh, uh, we are God's people, and we realize that we have a king who is ruling. We have a king who will always rule. And we need to live and act as if, because he is, Jesus is ruling at this very minute. Oftentimes we have this mindset, oh, Jesus, come back one day. That is very true, but we live as if he's king now because he is. So we align ourselves with him because Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Then Paul comes in and he says this, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In verse 30, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Paul starts to talk about this idea of suffering. I don't know where we got this idea from that in the Christian faith that when you come to faith in Christ, I don't read this idea that your life is not all of a sudden be perfect. It's going to be, here's a, a, a box, gift wrap, pretty little bow on top. Here's your life. This is it, right? we often paint this picture of, man, come to Christ, everything's going to be great, right? When the Bible teaches, man, come to Christ, and you're going to go through some stuff, right? You are going to see some things. You're going to experience struggles. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience these things. But here's the truth in what we see when when we think about suffering. We think about struggles that we go through, and Paul, he went through these things is what we see this, God will use everything we go through in life. And some of you are in some situations right now, you're like, dude, I don't know what's up, what's down, what's left and right. I don't even see a way out. But God uses these things to make you more and more like Christ. He uses these sufferings, he uses these things to pull you closer to who Jesus is. Second Timothy says this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. In Acts chapter 5, we see Luke, he writes this, and this is unbelievable because what he, what he writes here, it, it goes against like everything we do. You know, we're very good at grumbling and complaining, right? We are very good at complaining when things don't go our way, when things are, are off balance or, or things are just different. We are very good to go, I don't like that. You know, we have a minor inconvenience of the day. What is our first thing we do when we get home? You wouldn't believe what happened to me today. You know, we go straight into complaining about some minor little detail. But I want to hear what, what, what is written in Acts chapter 5. All right? Keep that in mind. After being beaten in Israel... Believers left the council rejoicing they were accounted worthy of suffering, dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. Y'all get that? After being beaten in Israel, right? And this, when they say beaten, this ain't like, you know, me and my friend got a little slap fight. This is like, you got beat, dude. The believers left the council rejoicing. That's not normal for us. That's not a normal action. It's not a normal reaction for us. 
right? We have a hard day. We go through something hard in life, man. We want to complain about it. We talk about it. Sometimes you got to. Sometimes you just got to get off your chest. But these dudes face a horrible situation in which they are beaten and they leave rejoicing because they counter worthy of suffering dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. I mean, what would it look like if you and I changed our mindset to the point to where we went through things in life, whether it was big, major, whatever category we put them in, and we considered it joy because of what Jesus was going to do? we're blessed enough that we don't really face a lot of like persecution like they face and Christians face around the world. We don't face those things and, you know, who knows whatever it holds, but within whatever it is that you do face, elevate Jesus in it. Elevate Jesus. I, I tell you, I can look back at minor things in my life, minimal things, and I'm like a crazy person, you know? You're probably the same way. Like, well, this is dumb, you know? Sometimes you lose it in those moments. In these moments of suffering, these moments of struggles. But we see in Scripture that we should rejoice, be glad, and be joyous in those things. And we do that by in the midst of those things, we just elevate Jesus. Again, Paul's secret sauce. His faith never wavered. No matter what was going on, it was shipwrecked, lost at sea, in prison, never lost faith. He elevated Jesus in the midst of everything. Because here's what we see when you and I go through these things. Jesus uses these things to mature us in Christ. Life, death, everything in between. And for you and I as believers, true life begins when we give our life to Christ, when we come into relationship with Jesus. So it's that point, death, and then what happens there matters. And that's what Paul's communicating. Dude, it absolutely matters what I do. Because as long as I'm in this flesh, I am going to press on for Jesus. But part of that is you and I, during that time, is maturing in Jesus. I found this professor, and he asked these three questions. You know, I kind of wanted to get to the core of, of someone's Christian life. He asked these three questions. The first question is this. Do you love God? Most of like, yeah, you know. Do you love others? Yeah, you know. But do we though, All right? And then three, and this, this is what gets you, okay? Do you love God? you love others? Do you mind if I ask them? Hold on. Just, you can ask some people. Ask the people I like. They'll tell you I love them, Right? The people I don't like, don't, don't, don't ask them, man. Don't, do me a favor, don't, don't, don't ask them. But we ask these questions because despite all of our flaws, despite other people's flaws, how much do we look like Jesus when we're around these other people? Are we maturing in it? The, the neighbor, the coworker, the, whatever it is, the person that we don't agree with, X, Y, Z, and you can plug in whatever your X, Y, Z is, those people that we don't agree with, like we're on total opposite ends of the spectrum right how well do we love them even because everything we find in scripture is non-negotiable so when jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourself he doesn't give us a way out he doesn't say well if you don't really like these people then it's cool it's fine he says no love your neighbor as yourself if we're called to a life 
and this is in our life is about conduct, how we act, react, and interact, and all those things need to point back to Jesus. And we have failures in this. I fell in this often, all right, especially coaching baseball, all right, just, you know, there it goes. But there's mercy, there's grace, there's love in that. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to strive, to push, to seek, to hope that we would embody the person of Jesus. Paul uses this phrase of being granted. And usually we think of granted, we think of these wishes by a genie, right? But what Paul is saying is this is graced upon you. It's by grace that God would invite us to share in the suffering and inviting us along our life to represent King Jesus in everything that we do. So here's the question we asked this morning. Are we maturing in Christ? And maturing is kind of a weird word. When you think about like as we mature in Christ, like I should be more mature uh, tomorrow than I am today, which is weird, right? I should be more mature in Christ next week than I am this week. And it's a slow process. Now, like, it's not that you don't do these huge jumps. It's little by little by little that God begins to work on us and we begin to mature more and more as into who Christ wants us to be. And that is being the image of Jesus. So here's the questions we ask ourselves. If the mature Christian life is living deeply with others, regardless of our differences, are we maturing? When our political ideologies, those things don't match up, are we maturing? If the mature Christian life is striving to live a holy, set-apart, distinct way in the midst of everything, are we maturing in that? If, If the mature Christian life is pressing fearlessly into the hope that we have in Christ and pushing away all the other lesser hopes, are we maturing? Because if all these things together matter, and spoiler what they do, how are you and I maturing as followers of Jesus? Paul wrote these letters. He wanted to see these churches, these people, these individuals mature in their relationship with Christ to put away the size of things that don't matter, that they can partner with each other in gospel advancement, to see in people come to Jesus and seeing disciples being made. And in that, he was encouraging them, are you maturing in your faith? Because the more you mature in your faith, the more of Jesus you're going to live out in your life. This is what Paul is saying. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You got life, you got death. Question is, is what we, is what we do in the middle, does it matter? Answer is absolutely. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Is the question. What do we do with that space? Paul says, I know I'm doing my space to live as Christ dies again. As long as I'm in the space between, I'm pushing and I'm plugging along for the gospel of Jesus. Other things may be a distraction, things might come my way, but my faith isn't wavering, and I'm pressing on for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for you and I, it matters just as much. Right? Like, for Paul, Paul lived in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world, and our world isn't more sinful than Paul's world. It just presents itself differently, right? And we have those distractions. But in the midst of those things, are we elevating Jesus, living a mature Christian life, and making sure that we are living that space between life and death as much as we can for Jesus, all for the glory of God? Jesus is not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. As Paul says, until I am in the presence of Almighty Jesus, he's not done. And if he's not done, I'm not done either. 
that needs to be our same mindset. Lord, if you're not done with me, then I'm not. Let's do this thing together. So let's band together under the name of Jesus in tune with the person of Jesus all for the gospel of Jesus. And for some of us, it might be, listen, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Never had had a relationship with Jesus. Listen, today, in just a minute, our praise is going to come and lead us in a worship song as they do so. Listen, I'll be right here at the front. I'll be glad to share with you the person of Jesus. Talk about what it means to be in a relationship with him. Or maybe for some of you, it's like, listen, I've been a follower of Jesus for some time, but I'll be honest with you, I've been doing kind of my own thing. Instead of the whole live to Christ, die is gain thing, we're like, man, to live is for me, and to die is just not good. But may we be in tune with, man, to live is a Christ, to die is gain. If that's you, man, come talk to Jesus. The altar is open. I'll be here to talk to you, pray with you, whatever it might be. Or maybe for some of you, it's like, listen, I've been going through some things, and life is just overwhelming me. I don't have answers. Well, I'll tell you who does. His name is Jesus, and the altar is open to come and share these things, talk with them. Or maybe God's just pressing something else on your life, and you just want to sh- just, just get it out. Man, come and share whatever God is doing in your life. Take this time to come and respond in obedience to Him and lay these things out. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening. And God bless.